What are you rolling first when it drops? What's the first thing you're going to be leveling? I'm going to be leveling a rogue because that was not available in Diablo 3. And I've played every class basically in Diablo 3, I think. Except the Witch Doctor because they suck. Do they? They just basically like the Necromancer made them kind of pointless? I'm not sure why they suck. A YouTuber I watched said they suck, so I have to follow it now. Fair enough. Yeah. Already, you're in. No, I tried to play one. I tried, tried to play one briefly. It wasn't. It wasn't for me. Yeah, let's okay. go. You want to talk about the DEA, etc.? You ready to do this? It's the same thing. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. In America, no one can protect you from a transportation employee bribed by the feds. The Drug Enforcement Agency has a single remit to prosecute America's long-failed war on drugs. Joseph Cox is here with us today to talk about one of its shadier practices and the senators who want answers from the Department of Justice. So it turns out, that uh, the DEA has been paying off Amtrak and commercial package companies to rat out its customers. Joseph, thank you so much for coming onto the show. How are you doing today? All good. Always happy to come on. Perfect. So what exactly is the DEA's scheme here? Sure. So usually when the DEA would want some information from a company, you know, a private company or a quasi-government agency, as they're called, like Amtrak, uh, you would go and you would get a warrant, right? This is not a controversial <laughs> point to make uh, when it comes to the American justice system. That's what you would normally do. But, you know, as was previously revealed, but as we've elaborated on here for reasons we'll get to, uh, the DEA, instead of getting that, going through that warrant process, has just been paying millions of dollars to people inside these companies. So, just to just to hammer that home so it is really really clear this is not like the data brokers that we've covered you know many many times before this is not like the location data brokers where hey that's our business we sell data this is the dea basically getting a mole an informant a source inside amtrak or something like that some sort of low level employee with access to databases and bribing them <laughs> and, and, pay, and paying them to get the data uh, that they could just go and go get from the courts. Uh, but for, you know, various reasons, one presumably being that this is a maybe quicker, uh, they have been doing this for years and years and years. And it's not just it's not just like Amtrak. It is also package companies. Do we know which specifically which ones yeah, so names of the companies don't really come up beyond okay. the Amtrak one. Uh, the other, well, the private companies that DA has been targeting include airline companies, uh, which, you know, obviously you're going to have access to all sorts of information about people there. Uh, bus companies, same sort of deal. That's also a transportation company. But then also, I think they call them mail reception facilities. And then the way I read that, that's sort of companies that could receive or forward mail for, you know, plenty of businesses use this, individuals use it as well. And these sorts of companies will receive mail. Now, 
you can get data from that, uh, as the DEA did, as they did with the other companies. But with the parcel ones, <clears throat> they can also pay the employees to just send the DEA the package, uh, and then they open it without a warrant. Usually when you open a parcel, you get a nice little warrant via the U.S. Postal Service Police. I see these every single day when I open up PACER, which is the system for reading U.S. court records. Uh, the DEA didn't do that. They just paid people to open them instead. And as we said, as you said up at the top, we've known that this was going on for a while, right? We, we, did yeah, we first so, learn about this in 2014? Is that right? Yeah, so to sort of give the preamble, which will lead up to why we're talking about this again, is that in 2014, the, AMS, the, the oversight body responsible for Amtrak uh, found that an Amtrak employee had been taking these payments to provide the DEA with uh, information. Um, you know, about uh, particular users uh, and that sort of thing, which is obviously very, very bad. And then the Office of the Inspector General, which is the oversight body of the DOJ, they then looked into it uh, in 2016 after a bit of pressure from uh, a senator at the time, Grassley, and they then found that this was actually a lot wider than just one rogue Amtrak employee. There were more Amtrak employees in there. There were also TSA employees that the DEA was paying as well who would work in the security line and they would sort of flag people with suspicious baggage and then the DEA would go intercept them in the airport again without a warrant or you know, without sort of court-approved uh, or uh, authorization. Uh, and then they also found all, all of the other stuff that we just mentioned about the parcels, about more of the airline companies uh, and the uh, bus companies as well. So that all happens in 2016. And the, D, the DEA says, okay, don't worry. We've introduced a new policy that will ban uh, these sorts of payments to government agencies, uh, workers of government agencies and quasi-government agencies. So that would ban or did ban the payments to people who worked at Amtrak, quasi-government agency, and the people who worked at TSA, obviously a government agency. But as you may have noticed, that leaves a massive hole in that you could still, uh, at least theoretically, a employees at these private companies, the airlines, the, the parcel companies, the bus companies, the change in DA policy did not impact that. So here we are years after the fact, and this brings us up to why we're covering it, which is that um, a pair of bipartisan lawmakers led by Senator Ron Wyden has asked the DOJ, we want you to change the policy here. We want you to close this Whole, essentially, which still allows the DEA or wider DOJ components to pay for information from people inside private companies. So they've asked that in this letter. They've asked a bunch of other questions as well. And, you know, we only know about these DEA cases, but the, uh, the, the senators are looking for more information on other agencies as well. You know, FBI, U.S. Marshals, uh, ATF, all those sorts of things. And I just want to go over some numbers here. Some of the, this is going to be old information. Uh, but this is from the Office of Inspector General report that kind of broke, was partially responsible for like getting a, a bunch of information out in 2016. Obviously, things have probably continued. Uh, but over a four-year period, 2011 to 2015, uh, 21 sources uh, within Amtrak paid out a total of one point. 
one million three hundred ninety-seven thousand one hundred sixty-eight dollars. Um, over that's over one hundred seventy-five pay, payments, uh, one hundred seventy cases prosecuted, uh, and the DEA is saying uh, that it on the back of that those investigations seized about seven point five million dollars worth of illegal substances uh, out of seventy-two different uh, packages. Uh, so, I mean, it sounds like skirting around the exact letter of the law uh, is reasonably a, an effective strategy for law enforcement. Who knew? Well, that's the funny thing, is that when this report came out back in 2016, and I should just say, like, I didn't hear about this in 2016. I don't think it got the coverage it deserved, you know, and this is sort of going to tie into my other point, which is that the frame of this oversight body report is very much... Uh, from the perspective of an office of the inspector general, they look for fraud, uh, abuse, and waste, right? They're like, we want to go in and we want to make sure the taxpayers' money is being spent as effectively as possible by these government agencies. So it very much approached the DEA's abuse here from that frame. Like, is this an effective way of spending our money? And they found, you know, these... The spending's out of control. There's barely an oversight over individual DA offices. You know, central DA should be dictating these more, all of that sort of thing. And it was briefly mentioned quite deep into the report that, you know, this brings up all sorts of issues for the Fourth Amendment, which is the stuff that we care about. But it was not the focus of the report. And I don't think it was really the focus of the media reports at the time either. There was a lot of coverage, you know, CNN, I think it was Washington Post as well, where they were focusing on this one Amtrak employee who got hundreds of thousands of dollars. But it was more, hey, look at this. This one person got all this money. It didn't seem to be so much that the DEA is skirting around warrants. I'm not saying it was completely ignored. It just didn't seem to be the focus. And now we have a lot more context for law enforcement buying their way to information. You know, that's the angle and the frame that we've come of it from, because we have this much greater understanding now, thanks obviously to our own reporting, but then also stuff from the Wall Street Journal as well, which has found law enforcement agencies skirting the warrant requirements with a credit card or cash or whatever you want to call it. And then just very, very briefly um, on the cash figures you brought up there, um, yeah, they are seizing a bunch of cash, and it seems to be that the majority of what the DA actually gets out of this is seizing money. They do get some drugs as well, but especially in the parcels stuff, when they're forwarding parcels on, it seems to be like, oh, look, we found a bunch of cash that we is probably connected to crime or, or drugs or something like that. They did end up seizing a bunch of cash, and the same in the airports as well, where they'd get a tip from an airline employee, like this person has weird baggage or here's their flight number or whatever and the DEA were going in you know interdict them in the airport uh they were most of the time seizing cash yeah and it's it's funny it reminds me of uh like you are creating an incentive for these employees to find the packages and and the cash right you are you you know this is a little bit this is me speculating it's a little bit outside of the 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 facts that we know specifically, but um, when you have these kinds of systems set up, as we have seen, uh, I would say, in the global war on terror, especially in the early days, when you create an incentive structure for uh, someone that with a little bit of power to get a bunch of money for finding a crime, they will tend to find the crimes, right? right. Uh, yeah, and, 
and, and I don't think this is the perfect analogy, but I would also I would point to like this is why we don't pay sources in a way. You know, like we do not give money to sources because it encourages people to provide information irrespective of its veracity, irrespective of whether it's true or whether it's in the public interest or not, right? They will give us information because they're hoping to get more money out of it. Similar sort of thing. Again, I know it's not a perfect analogy, but if you start offering people money inside an airline or something, they're going to start finding stuff, kind of irrespective of whether it's actually valuable or not. And that comes up in the report. And like they say, like not all of these tips were actually uh, that fruitful, but we're still paying all these informants. Yeah, I think it's really, this is really interesting. The cash thing is something I didn't really thought about. Um, uh, I'm going to pull up another little bit from the, uh, from that inspector general report from 2016 that I think is really telling kind of on that note. So it's not just Amtrak employees. Like we said, it's commercial package industry, um, and also airline employees, right? Um, this is for airline employees specifically from this OIG report, 19 tests, 19 sources, um, 381 cases. They seized $14.3 million. Here's the amount of times that they found an illegal substance in those 381 cases. Two, two. Right. right. You can, you can see what they're going for and what they're getting out of it. Absolutely. And like, you know, look, Getting the cash proceeds from from drugs and other crime is like a legitimate law enforcement pursuit. But typically you're going to go through the courts to do that rather than bribing airline employees, you know? It's possible to have your mission. And, you know, I think the war on drugs is obviously stupid and a complete waste of time. But generally you can have your mission and you can be going about it for the right reasons and you can do it in a completely wrong way. How is this just kind of blatant? Like, this doesn't feel legal to me. Obviously, I'm not a constitutional scholar, but I seem to remember, wasn't there some sort of Supreme Court case around uh, federal agencies using data brokers and buying stuff in 2018 that's kind of tangential Um, to this? Yeah, the Supreme Court ruling in 2018 was Carpenter. And that was about cell phone location data, not the sort of apps that we've reported on, like GPS data. This is more uh, the cell phone towers that your phone constantly communicates just in virtue of that's how phones work. And that landmark ruling found that you need to get a warrant to be able to get that data. Uh, So basically, you need a warrant to get location data. Now, that is a plague. That's interesting here. Because, of course, people are, the agencies are going around and they're just buying location data now. And the Carpenter ruling complicates that. We haven't had a court case yet that says, oh, look, the FBI or whoever bought smartphone app location data when they should have got a warrant, you know, and maybe we'll have that in the future. Who knows? But that applies here because. Well, the DA absolutely should have got a warrant, especially for the parcels. You know what I mean? Uh, so there is a there is a through line here of the law is pretty clear on whether they sh- they should have got a warrant or not. Um, but when it comes to the legality of you know an employee selling their information, I mean the companies are not going to be particularly happy about that, obviously. And the some of the questions, or one of the questions from senators asks, did the DEA give any of these people sort of legal immunity, you know, to protect them. Because 
if I was, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't, but let's assume for a moment that I was like working in the company, sending information to the DEA. I would want to know that I'm not going to get in trouble for doing that. And I would probably want some sort of immunity in the same sort of way that, you know, you may be a, a witness in a mob case or whatever, and you are, you get immunity there. Right. Uh, but that's something we don't quite know yet. So tell me a little bit. The, the reason that we're reporting on this is because these senators sent this letter. Can you tell me a little bit, a little bit more about who these senators are, what specifically they're asking for? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a Dem and a Republican, which I think is important because it does show that this is, you know, bipartisan, whereas often it can just be one side, uh, right? They're asking all sorts of pretty legitimate questions just about what companies has the DEA paid? Uh, I think maybe the money's in there. What I mentioned about the legal immunity. I think the most important question is they're asking, has the DEA ever paid for information from employees from stuff like telephone, internet service, or communication companies? You know, we can do the parcel stuff, we can do the airline stuff, but in 2023, and just the 21st century, you know, uh, in, in, in general, it's a lot more pressing if the DEA or other law enforcement agencies have paid, I don't know, can you give an ISP for browsing data logs or something like that? Stuff which absolutely would ordinarily require a warrant or, I don't know, Twitter DMs or something like that. Now, that's pure speculation. Obviously, we don't put that in the article because it is speculation. But I think it is a fair question to ask because governments have done this sort of thing before. It's not exactly the same, but, you know, we had the whole case with Saudi Arabia uh, having multiple moles inside Twitter who then unmasked very sensitive data about um, the Twitter accounts belonging to dissidents and that sort of thing. You know, and there's a mix of patriotism, I, I understand, and also payments as well. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask, has the DEA ever paid somebody inside a social network to, hey, can you give us, like, I don't know, the email address behind that account or whatever like that. So those are the sorts of questions they're asking. We don't know whether they're actually going to get answers or not, but that's what they're asking. And to be clear, all the only the only federal organization that we know is doing this is the DEA, right? We don't know that it's the FBI. We don't know if the ATF is doing similar things. They've got their own problems, obviously. But right now, it's just the Drug Enforcement Agency. Yeah, the the, the DEA is the only one we have like concrete examples of from the Office of the Inspector General report. None of the agencies got back to me except the FBI, which declined to comment. So. You know, they did. They where I and I deliberately, specifically asked, has the FBI, and I asked this to all the agencies, obviously one by one. But you know, has the FBI ever paid somebody from inside a private company for information? Does the policy still allow that? And they declined to comment. Just asking whether the policy allows that is a pretty straightforward question. You know, you don't even need to reveal details of a specific operation there, but they wouldn't even answer that. Uh, so we'll see if they provide information to the, the senators as well. It's fairly typical for journalists dealing with uh, federal investigative agencies, I found, right? You can either confirm nor deny, uh, if you even get an mm -hmm. answer nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's how it goes. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. All right, cyber listeners, we are back on with Joseph Cox. But speaking of the FBI, uh, and speaking of something that we kind of talked about just a little bit earlier, brushed up against, you had another piece this week uh, about the FBI buying data from data brokers, correct? Uh, here's the FBI's yeah, that- contract to buy mass internet data. So, yeah, what, so give me the background on this. Sure. So this is about uh, the FBI purchasing data from a company called Team Cymru. We have covered Team Cymru's data sales to the government before. They sold data to the U.S. military, uh, the Army, uh, parts of the, the civilian law enforcement agency inside the Navy. Uh, and we also mentioned the FBI and I think the Secret Service before. But the reason we're re- reporting the FBI bit here is that, you know, we did a Freedom of Information Act request and we got the the contracts, you know, the paperwork for one of those FBI purchases. Uh, so we just published the, the contract online for anybody to see and then provided some context. Um, the data specifically here is data called NetFlow. Now, this is important to get correct. It is NetFlow can provide a picture of sort of the shape and size of traffic going over a network. And so to put it in layman terms, you could see what server is communicating with another server. Uh, and what this allows, uh, you know, people in the private threat intelligence world to do, you know, the, the Mandiants or the, the Googles, whoever, I'm, I'm not saying they do it specifically, I'm, I'm, I imagine they do, but those sort, that industry, right, they will use it to track uh, adversaries, you know, oh, we want to know where the hacker's command and control server is so we can follow the traffic back, find where they're launching the attack from, and then use that as a pivot point to then do more forensic investigations. Uh, and government agencies can do the same, you know, and this data was sold to the cyber division at the FBI for a couple of months. Um, I think I think in another listing that we found, it says it was part of, you know, some sort of proof of concept, something like that. Uh, but yeah, I just think that it's important to show that data purchases aren't limited just to location data and that sort of thing. I don't think this is as sensitive as location data at all. Location data can be about specific individuals, while this is more about internet usage. It's broad. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's broad. Uh, well, it, it's broad in two ways. First, in that Team Cymru claims to be able to access, you know, 90% of the world's internet traffic, something like that. That's that's in their marketing, but generally they're very well positioned to do that because they have direct relationships with internet service providers. It, it's also broad in the fact that it's not necessarily particularly targeted, you know, or it isn't particularly targeted. Like... If you're a threat intelligence analyst, you can go through it and you may be able to find the hacker's C2. You may be able to track through a VPN, you know, and that's another feature that Team Cymru advertises. Um, So it's broad for a couple of reasons. All of that being said, I still think it's worth reporting because the general public isn't aware of this. Right. And I don't think the users of internet service providers are aware of this in that when you log on to the internet, 
it's not actually just about the apps you use. It's you know, it's the the pipes of the internet, the, like the old stupid term that, that we used to use to describe it. There is data trade and selling going on there as well. Yeah, you're always going to be rendered down into uh, your data oil, kind of no matter what you do, right? Um, you're going to be kind of... In it, it's hard to say exactly like how dangerous this is to a specific individual with like a low threat model. Right. Uh, but it's still bizarre uh, and it's still important yeah. that we understand that where this, where the information flows to and who's doing what with it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, look, ultimately I, I think the best question is which ISPs are providing this, you know, and that, that's something I haven't been able to uh, answer yet in the, at least in a form that we're able to, uh, publish, but still the trade of this information, there is a public interest in knowing that, even if it's not the most sensitive thing in the world. I don't think everything has to be a scandal for you to publish an article about it. This is something that took me half an hour. I got the foyer and I wrote it up. It's just like, yeah. this is an interesting document. Here you go. Like people uh, sometimes misconstrue that the fact that you're publishing something implies he thinks a scandal. No, I just think it's worth knowing and that's fine. Yeah, where does... Where does Team Cymru get this stuff? Are they buying it directly from the ISPs? So they're not buying it. In the, What they do is that they enter a relationship with the ISP where the ISP will give them the NetFlow data, and in return, Team Cymru will give them threat intelligence. That is, you know, we can see threats against you, your organization, your customers, that sort of thing, because they're the ones who've developed the expertise uh, to being able to actually you know digest this data and actually get something useful um out of it that is the value that they provide and team company has been doing this for decades you know uh, they're a very long established company uh, as i'm sure you can tell from the the name team company you know that's, that's welsh and then they have a different uh affiliate i think they call it that sells to the public agencies they've been around for a very very long time uh but it's just recently that we started sort of paying attention to them, not because, oh my God, we just learned about NetFlow, but just because, you know, sources have started to come forward who have actually been concerned about this. And I don't think this made it into the FBI piece, but when we originally did a piece on this last year, you know, I spoke to somebody who got access to Team Cymru's data, they saw it, and they saw their own organization's servers talking to one another in this data, and it freaked them out. They were like, I need to talk to somebody about this. Um, you know, and that's one of the reasons that we've continued to be covering this in that there are people who are concerned uh, about this, the sale and trade of this data. I've got a question from the chat. This is from Groundswell Zoo. Would using a VPN mask this kind of data tracking? Um, and are federal agencies, do we know federal agencies are getting VPN data? It. Uh, I would say it'll be case by case, but I would say that Team Cymru explicitly advertises that it can follow traffic through hops. That's kind, that's kind of the point. I can't remember the exact case. I think it was a case of Iranian hackers, but they had a little diagram on the website and we published it in one of the articles as well. And it shows, look, we followed from this compromise to this server, then to this server, to this server. I mean, you know, a VPN can come in different forms, I guess, but that is multiple hops, right? They are going through different servers. Uh, so yeah, they are able to follow activity through that. That's not to say you're following a person necessarily, but you are following activity through different hops, through different servers uh, on the internet. And that's what this sort of stuff can be useful for. When I've spoken to people who use this data, 
it's not like a silver bullet, but they can get leads out of it. And the public interest in that goes up when it's a government agency that does have power to investigate crimes or proliferate intelligence, and they're the ones who are accessing it. Uh, Israeli, I just pulled up the article, is what it looks like. Oh, no, that was a spyware vendor that was involved. But this is this the, the chart you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, and look, you can just see that they're following through various hops or or whatever, you know? So that is, yeah, that, that's the point of the product, basically. What about Tor? What if somebody used Tor? Uh, that I can't say right now. Fair enough. Uh, I, always, um, I always appreciate... It would be very interesting. Yes, but we can't very, say right now. I always appreciate a... Uh, I don't know what we're going to find out answer. That's... That's basically what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So kind of in keeping with our theme today, which <laughs> which is uh, police acting, police acting wild. Um, what, what? Why are the cops suing Afro man after they raided his home? Yeah. Um, so to give you the very brief background on this and, you know, other people of ice covered this it was, uh, originally. You know, because this isn't necessarily a motherboard story. Uh, I think it is in this case because it is, it is, you know, it's police abuse and, and, and technology or whatever. But initially, uh, Afroman was raided uh, based on a warrant that alleged drug trafficking and kidnapping. The cops turn up, they search everything, they don't find anything, right? Uh, I don't know if the info was bad, whatever, but they don't find anything. Afroman then takes footage uh, of that raid, captured by his wife, presumably on her cell phone, and in his own home surveillance system. And he starts making into music videos, <laughs> which are very, uh, very good to watch. Also puts it into TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Definitely Instagram. I can't remember if he did TikTok. Uh, but he is obviously not too happy. And these police officers, he's comparing some of them to Peter Griffin from Family Guy and, and then various other people. Uh, and, you know, this is data footage that he collected in his own home, was collected by his wife in her own home, and they did what they want with it. Now, the police, the individual police officers, have sued Afroman, his distribution label, and, and I think his record label specifically as well, for embarrassment, ridicule, all of this other stuff, saying that all of the money generated from, or a lot, some of the money generated from this, because he also used it on merch as well. I think he made t-shirts and that sort of thing. Uh, the, you know, you should be giving that to us because you're embarrassing us. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but it sounds stupid on the face of it uh, as a lawsuit, but, you know, maybe under state law, whatever. Uh, but I don't know. It, We'll we'll see how it develops, but I don't know what's going to happen with this with this lawsuit. It's just a it's just a pretty entertaining one, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's a I mean it's a hell of a headline. Um, all right, I got to ask you about one more story that you just published before we hopped on. Uh, yeah. I have not. I know that you've got the broad strokes. I have not dived deeply into it, but the but it did catch my eye last week. I had Emily on. We were talking about the TikTok ban. Um, so we've seen kind of some of the proposed legislation. This is the restrict act what it what what what's going on here looks bad uh at first blush yeah. yeah so the restrict act is a piece of legislation partly led by senator mark uh warner and what it plans to do is not just 
laid the groundwork for a potential ban of TikTok, but lay a more wide-spanning legislative legislative power that could target other things such as you know the kaspersky ban that we already had a while ago and then we had uh huawei then we had zte so it's not just going for tiktok it's trying to go for if we see a technology a service an app whatever and we think it poses a national security risk because it is linked to a foreign adversary this will give us the tools to ban it or take some other measures now, I went, I went through the language of the bill, and I sent it to a few digital rights experts, and one said it was, quote, insanely broad, end quote, which is not really what you want to hear from <laughs> a digital rights expert. And I would say that some other people are still going through the language of the bill, and it may change, that sort of thing. But their main worry was that this is so vaguely worded, so broad, that it could encompass other things like VPNs, you know? Uh I would push back on that just, well, not really push back, but I'd add the caveat in that this is only targeting technologies linked to foreign adversaries, and they name North Korea, Iran, Cuba, Venezuela, China. Don't get me wrong, still really, really broad, but I just I wanted to uh, add that as well. So look, this isn't law yet. We don't know if it will become law, but this is one of. The, uh, but the reason it's important is that this is one of the vehicles that could be used for a potential TikTok ban, and it could sweep up a lot of other stuff with it at the same time. Right. We'd love to throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, in in America all the time, constantly. All right, Mister. Uh, yeah. All right, Joseph. I think that about cover, covers it. I do have one more question for you, though. Uh, what do you want from Diablo Four Endgame? Uh, I want to be able to play it for hours and hours and hours and veg out and get that sweet dopamine hit of getting a number that's ever so slightly bigger than the other number. That's all I want. (laughs) I think they're probably going to give that to you. I'm I'm happy. I'm fine. (laughs) Joseph Cox, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through all of this. If you like the show, please follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV or at youtube.com forward slash motherboard and you will be notified when we go live you can participate in the chat here they're having a robust conversation right now about uh, Tor and VPN and which order that you should use things in and then Tails and uh, you learn a lot just hanging around in chat so you should do that uh, if you are just listening to the podcast come and see us live when it happens uh, we will be back a little bit uh, later this week with another uh, episode about uh, another episode about the dangerous things on the internet. Uh, we got a special surprise next week. Something I'm very excited about. I think we should be doing Wednesday. And we'll talk to y'all then. Stay safe out there on the internet. See you later. Traffic jams tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.